G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network on your local community radio. For my last program this year, I bring you two features. Will Tracy, Assistant Secretary of the Maritime Union of Australia, spoke to us about the dispute that erupted at WebDoc when one of the workers, an MUA delegate, the Maritime Union of Australia, was targeted by VICT, the company operating at WebDoc just before Christmas. Will gives us the background, what happened and finally a victory in a dispute that looks like many of the anti-union, anti-worker behaviour that has been a hallmark of 2017. Finally, we talk with Josh Cullinan, the Secretary of the newest Australian union, the Retail Fast Food Workers Union, after its first year of operations. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Over the last month, VICT, the company operating the first fully automated dock in Australia at Webb Dock, part of Melbourne Port, has been working to slash rates of pay and conditions. VICT broke cover when it singled out a union delegate saying that he didn't have a necessary security pass to work on the dock. A community picket was set up at Webb Dock in response. Will Tracy, Assistant Secretary of the Maritime Union of Australia, the MUA, gave Stick Together an extended interview about the dispute and the small win in a greater fight for Australian dock workers. G'day, Will. How are you? Hello, Annie. How are you? Great. Now, um, yesterday, it was really just yesterday that it was uh, decided that uh, the web dock issue had been resolved. Can you talk to those issues? Look, I can to some extent, Annie. We're still before the courts on a, uh, a number of matters initiated by ourselves um, and by the company. But certainly uh, overnight on Thursday, there was a um, offer of a circuit breaker um, by the company leading into Christmas. Uh, and that was to reinstate the union delegate uh, on full pay. Um, we're still, while, while we're in dispute and working through the details of what's going on, but, uh, yeah, it was certainly a welcome um, um, circuit breaker, I think, for all concerned, given the nature of the dispute that was in place. We went round and addressed, went down and addressed the community um, to ensure that um, uh, that we're able to put the message um, about the breakthrough that came through, and um, gratefully they uh, the picket was lifted and, um, they're able to resume work. Uh, what I will add, though, is that the port is obviously still in dispute. That terminal is still in dispute. We have a number of issues there that haven't um, changed, and uh, the two key issues at the centre of the dispute still remain, and that is that we have a company that has, um, through what we would say corrupt processes, put together uh, an enterprise agreement uh, at that site uh, for uh, waterfront workers that undercuts the industry wages and conditions by 40%. And it, the reason why we say that the process was corrupt is that they uh, put this agreement together in the same fashion uh, that we saw at CUB in a manner that we've seen reflected 
in a number of sites where there are the big big disputes uh, in Victoria as we speak, and SA Longford uh, is one of them. We saw the disputed streets um, and the continued uh, tactics by employers to um, seek opportunistically um, and corruptly the um, advantages they can get under the Fair Work Act to use small groups of workers to bring in agreements that will undercut wages and conditions in the vicinity of 34% across the industry. That's fascinating, isn't it? Because VICT is a big multinational company right across the world. They've been shown to use this as their business model, isn't it? Yes, certainly. Um, ICTSI, which is the parent company of VICT, is a company whose business model around the globe, generally they go into third world countries, they're CEO is on the record as saying he prefers to operate in countries where there are dictatorships. It certainly suits their business model. Um, and they go into uh, countries with a uh, low-wage um, undercutting of local contractor-type model. We've just seen them recently uh, in PNG where they went in to operate new terminals there and wanted to um, uh, sack uh, 600 local workers up there um, and bring in cheaper workers. Uh, and that's the business model that they've sought to roll out around the world. Uh, and they bought that same thing here, and they've been able to exploit our own industrial system. I don't think it's any secret to anyone that the current industrial system is broken. The rules don't work. They work against the interests of working people in this country, unfortunately, and in the interests of big business um, and the corporate right-wing neoliberal agenda. Uh, and this company's just made the most of that, uh, just has have a number of other companies around Australia, in particular a number in Victoria, and there's been some high-profile disputes along that line. But the ability to, what we've seen here at BICT, is the company was unable to negotiate an agreement that matched industry standards with the Waterfront Union, which is the Maritime Union of Australia. And as a result of that, they went and uh, used five supervisors who generally don't come within our agreements and got them to vote up an agreement that undercut the industry wages and conditions by 40%. You know, we've seen undercutting of the hourly rate for casuals by around about $20 an hour. We've seen industry superannuation undercut by 2.5%. We've seen a refusal to acknowledge the industry superannuation scheme so important to the retirement prospects and dignity and respect that people seek in retirement of waterside workers and something that this union's been very proud to support. It's very um, dangerous stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's a very dangerous workplace. And uh, people uh, work very hard to in order to make it a safe place. And uh, this kind of uh, skullduggery, effectively, it's economic uh, skullduggery. Uh, one of the aspects of it was, because I think they're so clever, they changed the names of the actual jobs that people do. So therefore, apparently, they weren't covered. Well, what they do is, um, I mean... The function that happens inside a port is to either load or unload ships and there are many roles that make that happen and one of the key roles is obviously the lashing function which is to um, enable, uh, uh, is a process that, that enables the boxes to come on and off once they've been um, set free from the ship, you know, and, and, and you use the cranes to pull them on and off and what have you. But what they've done there is that the, the lashing function or the people who do lashing and pinning and these sorts of things, they now call them automated auxiliary employees instead of lashes. It's the same job that the people who are working there now were doing last year at a different terminal. Uh, but because they've called it a different name, they say it comes under the coverage of a different union and try to exclude the Maritime Union of Australia. I mean, we are the waterfront union in this country. We have 130, 140 years of history on the waterfront and this company seeks to implement an agreement that simply changes the name of the people doing the job that we've done for 100 years and say that we should be excluded from the waterfront on that basis. The 
conduct of the company is in fact worse than that because uh, what we see is it's an automated terminal. So what that means is that most of the jobs uh, that are done operating equipment and cranes and what have you are done from people behind computer screens. Um, and what this company has sought to do is to say, uh, and, and, and if we're talking about the issue of safety that you raised earlier, is that they sit behind the people on the computer screens and they openly threaten them that if you uh, don't give us the productivity that we demand or the box rate we're chasing, then we will shift the person operating the, the, the computer screen to the Philippines where someone will do your job for $15,000 a year. And they hang that over their head uh, week in, week out. Um, and it's one of the... I mean, automation is a cancer. It results in job losses for working people. But every automated job uh, in a workplace in this country and in this state should be done, should remain in this state. There shouldn't be an ability, just because it's been done from behind a computer screen, to continue to go and seek the lowest wages overseas. That's interesting in itself, because uh, I was told that there was an eight-second delay between... Uh, what happens from the Philippines at the computer set and what was happening in the movement of uh, stuff into a hole. That could be... That eight seconds can be... uh, That's that's, that's fatal. That's fatal, yeah. An eight-second delay between the person operating the equipment um, and the people on the ground who operate under the hook, um, whatever it may be, the the, the stuff for the guys who are on the ship or shore side... An eight-second delay kills someone. That's yeah. the reality. And we've already seen at that terminal the removal of the gatehouse function to the Philippines. You know, th- these are jobs that should remain in Victoria, um, particularly with the decimation of jobs we've seen across the economy um, in the last number of years. Uh, but we see... So, so you were saying that uh, uh, even though there's all this big noting about this big noise being made about security uh, and... Uh, Securing our borders, actually, the gates at Web Dock are controlled from Manila. That's correct. That's correct. <laughs> so, so we have, you know, trucks and that who come from the gate gatehouse. Yeah. Um, uh, that, that that function is operated uh, in another country, um, <laughs> and so once you remove the person from the physical uh, job and the place in which it's done, you can take those jobs anywhere. Um, and uh, what we see through uh, the process of automation that we see on the docks with this particular company um, is the threats to offshore the jobs that they currently do if they don't meet productivity targets. Um, Mm. And also, it was a a pretty down and dirty... I mean, it it reveals quite a lot about VICT, that company, because during this dispute, they (coughs) they were sending out information like uh, the community picket was uh, causing uh, a safety uh, issue to uh, threatening lives because EpiPens weren't being allowed to come in and out, even though actually the state government was able to show that EpiPens arrive by plane. That's right. That's right. Look, it, it was part of the media spin that the company put on. And in fact, when the government questioned the company's representatives about, look, what's happening with the EpiPens, the response, and, and, and asked them, because right throughout the week, we took uh, the responsible decision to approach the community um, who had been on the picket to say, look, there's been requests to us from people about uh, EpiPens and what have you. Um, and, and, and they said, look, we're not in the business of um, trying to uh, block out some of that essential staff. And as a result of that, we went back to the company, wrote to the company over three successive days saying, look, we want to get moving, and they couldn't identify what the boxes were. And the government put the position on them too and says, look, identify the boxes. They said, we can't. And the question was asked, well, why can't you? I said, well, 
we don't know where they are. And they said, well, why are you saying that there's EpiPens there? They said, oh, we didn't say it. Industry said it. Oh. Uh, now, now, we are talking about a uh, high-security zone where every bit of cargo through the manifest is identified um, in every box uh, at every minute of the day. Yeah, well, that's and your business. That's, that's, that's your business. And uh, that's the nature of importing and exporting. You've got to know <laughs> what you're taking on and off the wharf. Um, but they, 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 they misled uh, the company that makes the EpiPens, contacted the media and said, look, can you stop saying that there's EpiPens stranded on the wharf? We fly them in and contain. Um, and so when we went to uh, reveal that, the response from the company was then to do a personal attack on the person at the centre of uh, the dispute. It was disgraceful behaviour and the Herald picked it up, unfortunately. You know, uh, we, we are in there campaigning uh, inside the gate to try and make sure that an agreement that undercuts the industry wages and conditions, an agreement I might know that was negotiated by an ex-official of this union. Yeah, um, no. the, H, the HR manager down there, a fellow by the name of Mick O'Leary, spent the best part of 30 years earning his living off the membership dues of uh, members of the Maritime Union of Australia and has used the knowledge that he's gained to go and uh, opportunistically put together an agreement that undercuts by 40% the wages and conditions of the people he used to represent. It's disgraceful behaviour. Oh, yeah, it's, it's takes your breath away, doesn't it? It does, absolutely. There's slightly more positive uh, outcomes at the moment uh, because obviously negotiations are still continuing, but uh, that uh, dele- union delegate who was I- effectively targeted over him not getting his security pass... I just yeah. want to explain a bit about that because there was a lot made. See, the, the two weeks ago the company was saying uh, he doesn't have a permit and he'll never get one. Um and then we got approval for his permit. So the narrative changed to, uh, look, he misled us when he told us he couldn't get a permit. He only told us in November when the paperwork was given to the terminal general manager five months ago. Um, and in fact, every day that a worker goes onto a ship when the ship is alongside, you've got to sign in through security. And those with M6 put their passes through the, um, uh, the machine that reads it. And those without M6 sign onto a form. So every day you have to identify yourself who doesn't, who doesn't doesn't have MCs. It's not a matter of being able to go in and trying to get by without a permit. This is a security zone. It's about security, security again. Zone. And you have to declare whether you do or don't have one. And every day they've done that, as have 22 other workers who didn't have permits at that site. And what the company did is, once they got his um, security application forms and the paperwork that was acquired five months ago, they then sat on it for four months until they sent an email saying, we've done an audit, you don't have a permit, and three days later... They speared him as the only one out of 22 who got punted. Mm. So it was a pre, what, you know, it was almost, you know, what they say. Uh, it was pre-planned. Pre-planned, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it was based around, and this is the issue that we've no, got. Well, you know what I was going to say? I was going, it was like premeditated murder. Yeah, it, it, was, <laughs> it was certainly premeditated behaviour. Yeah. Um, and uh, look, I mean, what it was based around was, you know, we, we had been running a campaign inside uh, the gate. Uh, to uh, organise the site, and we were having a huge amount of success. In fact, the worker who got identified and was standing up as the union delegate on site also had claims, uh, and we informed the company that there were other claims going to the federal court about the bullying and harassment mm. that had been occurring on site uh, of himself, and he took that on behalf of all the workers who were working inside the terminal, particularly a lot of the threats that have been going on about speeding up work and we'll shift your job, all that sort of stuff that goes on. And most of these threats coming from the ex-official uh, that I identified uh, earlier, Mick O'Leary. But um, he, he stood up and there was court, various court applications on and three weeks before one was to be heard, in fair work, they went down this process and uh, took the uh, decision to terminate him. 
after having identified 22 people who were without permits. <laughs> well, congratulations. It's, it's a small step, but it's a welcome breakthrough prior to Christmas. But the port, and we've made that very clear, um, is still in dispute while we try and get around a number of issues. But certainly I think that uh, it, was a, um, it was a welcome breakthrough prior to Christmas. So I want to, if, if I can, just take the time to thank uh, the community um, and the broader trade union movement uh, who came out to support the dispute down there and continue to support it. And the many, uh, two and a half, three thousand that turned out at the rally uh, Friday ago, if we were unable to resolve this, there was going to be a rally down there this Tuesday that would have attracted about fifteen to 20,000 people because the community identifies this offensive corporate behaviour as something that needs to be dealt with both by the broader trade union and the community itself. You're listening to Stick Together, the only national program that focuses on workers' stories and union news. 2017 has been the year of exposing shameful wage theft from some of the most vulnerable workers in Australia. Part of the expose was the groundbreaking case, Hart versus Coles. The nub of that particular case was a deal struck between the SDA, the Shop Distributive and Allied Employees Association, with Coles, an anti-worker agreement that stitched up a deal that failed the overall fairness test. Rising out of the case was the creation of Australia's newest union, the Retail Fast Food Workers Union, REFU, providing an alternative to the SDA. We talked to the remarkable Josh Cullinan, Secretary of REFU, at the end of their first year. So in 2015 and 16, uh, a few of us were involved heavily in the um, Hart case, uh, which exposed what had been going on between the SDA and the major employers, effectively taking billions of dollars from hundreds of thousands of workers over many years. That case exposed it for the world to see, and uh, the mainstream media got on board, of course, and were able to show what had been going on. And in, uh, at the end of that case, in May 2016, the SDA and the employers had a wonderful opportunity to rectify their wrongs, admit what had gone on and fix it immediately um, and they chose not to and uh, and we decided at that time it was time for an alternative, uh, a time for a, a radical fighting union that uh, wouldn't be taking any um, taking any prisoners. We were, we were here to radically build a new union that would involve members right across the country and that's what we've been doing. And it's very hard work isn't it? It is, it's uh, it's it's many, many activists spending a great deal of time um, over the past year to build what we have now. Um, we've gone past 500 members. We've got activist teams in every capital city. Um, we face, a, a, in every workplace, particularly the major retailers and fast food, we still face the lies of management and the lies of SDA. But slowly the word's getting out, um, particularly at those that we've taken head on, so Coles and Domino's are the obvious ones. Um, and the others will catch up and... Uh, and some of the wins have been fantastic, but it is very, very hard work. Tell us about your wins. So uh, we launched uh, late last year in November, and by January we had applied to, uh, we'd helped members to apply for termination of a Baker's Delight agreement. That was our first, uh, our first attack on dodgy zombie agreements. Zombie agreements are the things that were put in place during the work choices era, right? Oh, and before. So we, we have, you know, in Victoria there's a Hungry Jacks agreement from 1999. Um, that comes before even the Workplace Relations Act, well, back in the, the old days of the IR Act and the Workplace Relations Act, and certainly a number of work choices agreements were very common for... Uh, there was a period of about a year in 2000, 
um, between 2005 and 2007 when a whole range of agreements were put through work choices without any fairness test. Um, and even the fairness test, once it came in, was still, was still shonky. We come across those agreements all the time. Um, and basically they're agreements that don't have to stay in place, but it requires people to actually push back, right? That's right. That's right. It requires workers and activists to stand up. And that's what we had in January. We had two young women working at Doncaster East Baker's Delight who stood up. Uh, they're 17 and 18. They applied to terminate the agreement. And that was the first one. And then in March, we had th uh, workers, th about 400 workers employed by a group called Morgan's IGA in the western suburbs of Melbourne and the outer west of Melbourne. And they applied in March um, to terminate their dodgy agreement. Um, and in Ju on July 1st, their agreement was terminated. And uh, it was massive wage increases for many. 20, 23%, I think, was the average wage increase for workers. What was the response from the people who were involved? You know, they've got to win. The, they were wrapped. Um, were they amazed at their own, you know, that they got a result? Um, they were. The, the, the practical reality for a lot of these workers is, is that they're living week to week, but they're also under constant threat from the employer. And in many of these workplaces, their dodgy agreements not only reduce or cut their penalty rates or their casual loadings and their other rights and conditions, but they also effectively casualise part-time work. So there's no guaranteed minimum hours and no guaranteed shifts in a week on particular days. So they're basically casual waiting for the roster to see when they might work. And so for them to come to terms with these concepts of regular hours, regular shifts, starting times, finishing times, breaks, uh, let alone all of the penalty rates, right? So um, it was a massive shift for those workers, but it doesn't come, it all comes with a cost, you know, capital, um, capital shifts to be able to continue its exploitation. So we had in that workplace, for example, the employer go out and pressure workers to shift employment to casual contracts. Um, in the dying days before the termination, um, they spent about two weeks trying to pressure all the workers to go casual um, with all sorts of nonsense and threats. Fortunately for our members, and, and not so much for the non-members, um, they followed our advice. And so I think we had uh, about 50 members there that uh, insisted that they stay part-time. And, um, and they all benefited for it. And they've seen that since, that their co-workers who went casual lost their shifts and the replaced by 15 and 16 year olds who are cheaper. Um, so, so, but the, you know, going back to your point, uh, the, the experience for them has been ecstatic. It, it means being able to make ends meet. It means being able to um, work fewer hours for the same money. It's very labour intensive, your work though. 500 people across Australia. Uh, you're obviously going to build and build, but it's labour intensive, isn't it? Well, absolutely, absolutely. And so it's a whole lot of different realms to that. I mean, it's the, there's the organisation and the management of the organisation and the appointment of staff and um, those kinds of things. But it's also um, ensuring that the volunteers have space to be able to arrange their meetings, have the actions, have the activities, do their training um, and encourage them in that and keep, keep encouraging them in that to build relationships with pro progressive organisations and pro progressive unions so that um, we're able to share in solidarity um, when we need to. Um, and then it's, you know, there's a lot of our members and a lot of workers in retail and fast food are very young and um, exploiting social media for the benefit it has and um, being able to have an active um, profile on, on places like Facebook and to be able to engage with potential members and members in that space. So there's a lot going on. But as we're doing all of that, we're also, you know, providing expert industrial advice and industrial support. So we're well, in a, well ahead of the SDA in being able to respond quickly to members, but also to respond decisively and to run disputes and to have issues dealt with and to get into Coles and Woolworths and all the others and represent our members in the workplace. There's been a couple of interesting things in regards to SDA. Things have changed. They're not quite so upfront. 
Oh, and they can no longer be so upfront. That's that's right. And the world's watching. You know, and it's the same with the deals with um, with the boot test. They can no longer get away with those deals, and that's why bargaining shut down in the sector. In terms of dominoes, um, it's actually quite quite remarkably the opposite. What they did was they um, they commenced bargaining at Domino's two years ago, and every worker at Domino's is worse off under the current deals. They're very old deals. Some of them are 16 years old. Um, all the drivers, almost all the drivers, are under a 12-year-old agreement. And so they started bargaining, but every worker's worse off. So you either bargain within a week, you know, are we going to get everyone better off or not? Um, it took them a year, but then in June last year, they applied to terminate the agreements, um, to their credit, remarkably. But it didn't take a week to terminate them, or three weeks. Come Christmas time, six months later, the cases were closed um, because bargaining was happening. And then again in June this year, they applied to terminate all the agreements again as well. And the cases again were put on indefinite hold. And then we applied for our member, a member Casey applied from Townsville, to terminate in mid-August. And they came out in the newspaper saying, oh, but we've already been doing this, we've already been doing this. But now we know the truth is, no, they hadn't. They were put on indefinite hold while they bargained. Even on the day of the hearing, which they tried to avoid, but on the 1st of November we had our hearing, all 27 or 28 agreements were up for termination. Even on that day, their lawyers were saying, we want the case adjourned, we want to negotiate. Um, and to his credit, Senior Deputy President Hamburger said, no, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to terminate them all on the 24th of January. There's um, some irony that his name should be Hamburger. Hamburger on pizzas, I know. It's, um, but it's, it, it was just remarkable that, I guess they, the, the SDA hopes that no one's watching, but the transcript's all there, it's, you know, the material's all there. What we now know is that on the 24th of January, um, all of these workers are going to get massive, it's, it's over 20% wage increases. We're talking about casual workers who get a 9% loading rather than a 25% loading. Penalty rates, there are no penalty rates and the, the kilometre allowance has been woefully underpaid. So it's going to mean about $40 million a year for 21,000 workers, uh, which is a f another fantastic outcome on top of, you know, Coles is about to put an agreement to ballot, which we don't support the agreement. There's all sorts of problems with it. But when it does get in place, which it probably will, that'll be you know, 70 to $80 million for 70,000 workers. So another huge, um, it's another huge outcome in just our first year. You must be very proud of yourself. <laughs> very proud of members and the activists. I mean, we're doing some fantastic work. And I must say, it's very enjoyable work. Um, obviously, there's a high level of conflict. But, you know, those that are involved in our union aren't looking for friends in the Labor Party or aren't looking for friends in the upper echelons of the peak bodies that are funded by the SDA. We're, um, we're looking for friends on the shop floor. And, uh, and we're certainly getting them. So, um, yeah, it's been fantastic. That's it for Stick Together. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Will Tracy from the MUA and Josh Cullinan from RAFU for talking to us today. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne. We broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network and we come to you on your local community radio station. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 94198377. We'd love to hear from you. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. And until next time, stick together. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Catch you next year. Get up, stand up. Stand up for your right. Get up, stand up. Stand up for your rights.
Oh, you're right. 